0: Good morning, and a happy Wednesday to you, folks. It is a beautiful day here, despite the fact it is beyond kite weather. The wind is blowing so fast, but I am inside, protected from the elements, so I'm very grateful for that. And here's how I'm going to get moving today. Normally, I like to get out, Frackleberry Hound and I do a nice 5 to 10 mile bike ride in the morning, but this morning, too windy. So how am I going to get the blood flowing today to increase the oxygen to my brain, because When you get moving, the thoughts get moving, the productivity gets moving. It gets a little pep in your step, a little bit of pep in your step. So if you're feeling a little bit low on energy and it is too windy outside, it is too cold outside, it is too rainy outside, try doing some squats right next to your chair. Try doing a push-up or two. Walk up and down the stairs. Go ahead, put on a YouTube video for 30 seconds to five minutes and dance the office time away. Aim for about five minutes throughout the day just get started with that and i'll tell you what folks you get the pep in your step and i'll tell you the ideas are gonna get percolating oh let's get going on this wednesday it's hump day folks it's time to play hard work hard now let's play hard Welcome to the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. My name is Jason Spees. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Sterling is off today. We're going to be joined by Tom Shepstone with Natural Gas Now in just a moment or two. They've got some doings and a happenings out in the Marcellus region, so we'd like to keep everybody informed what is happening out there. And between Jim Willis with the Marcellus Drilling News and Tom Shepstone with Natural Gas Now, of course, we have the gentleman at Cabot Oil. We've got a great foothold out there in the marcellus region to convey some information to you folks happening out in shale play usa speak of mr tom shepstone himself i hear him calling in on the bat phone we better get to that right now mr tom shepstone how you doing sir hey jason what's going on oh not too much you know we're having you live on the air right now hope that's okay yeah, sure. That's fine. Good deal. That way I don't have to hit stop and record and all that different yeah. stuff. A couple pros like us, we know what we're doing. Faces for radio, right? Yeah, exactly. A couple of guys with faces for radio. All right. So I was just about to preview uh, your your story that I, I reached out to you to try to uh, get uh, some information on, and I kind of, I was going to go look it up. Was it, was it frackalation now, or it was the word frack and Appalachia put together, but, uh, folks, uh, Tom Shepstone, natural gas now, uh, for, it was written by Jim Willis. Wasn't it the story?
1: Well, the Jim wrote a story on it and, uh, uh, then I wrote a story on it and the, the, the original story was, uh, written, uh, from people who were advocating the, uh, the study. I forget where it was originally published, but they they published the uh, summary of the report, and then I got a copy of that, and of course then the full report, such as it is, it's just called Tracolation, it's put out by the Ohio uh, River Valley Institute, or Ohio Institute, and uh, it is, uh, it's actually kind of old news at this point in some respects because it was out like a month ago and then uh, I wrote a rebuttal to it, uh, which I it up on my post a, a few days ago but the uh, uh, it's put out by as I said this Ohio River Valley Institute which is funded by the usual suspects uh, uh, the Heinz endowments involved in it which is a you know the, the Heinz fortune Heinz uh, pickles and the ketchup uh, you know those people are among the most um, serious opponents of oil and gas development today which is crazy you know here's a p- one of Pennsylvania's pride and joy companies, who is uh, attacking another pride and joy industry of in Pennsylvania, and they have funded this uh, Ohio River Valley Institute to put out just a garbage report, total junk science, and and it is uh, it's just you know full of nonsense. And now this group called uh, this site called Gizmodo or Gizmodo, I guess Gizmodo. Uh, which purports to be uh, well, their 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 slogan is "We come from the future."
2: <laughs> so, they're supposed about-
0: to be a tech. there's supposed to be a tech uh, news site, and I've noticed they've gotten yeah. into politics in the last several years.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah it's really, to, really- to, I, I, actually uh, just to kind of give the audience a little context. I cited Giz Gizmodo or Gizmodo uh, a few days ago on the program because their headline. They they had a story, an editorial by some writer that said uh, the Colorado oil and gas industry continues to pick on North Face for some reason, and and I I, I know I know what the story is all about and everything, but I thought, boy, why is Gizmodo Gizmodo because I don't know how to pronounce it either, getting yes. into this political game like Sports Center is and the View yes. is and boy everybody is so anyway, sorry, a little yes. sidebar there, but.
1: Yeah, no, it's absolutely correct. I don't know what they're doing. And they hired this uh, reporter who wrote about this study. Uh, and again, I, I, it's just total junk science. I mean, it looks at a, a selected number of counties designed to give the, uh, the the result they want. You know, they cherry-picked the data. Uh, they didn't really understand the data. They just put it together in a way that it would be guaranteed to make it look like the, uh, the shale counties in uh, West Virginia uh, were... Uh, uh, predicting we're, we're going to go bad and we're going bad because of fracking and, and it just isn't true when you look at the data but the, the 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 bottom line is this this gizmodo article then you know picks it up and amplifies it which is what happens in the fractivist community all the time things just you know, get echoed and echoed and echoed that's their that's the standard operating procedure so this is the latest echo from this uh, report and 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 of course it's echoed by the the typical people jason i mean you and I have talked about this very many times, and the author of the article is uh, a person by the name of uh, Darna Noor. D H A R N A, and then N O O R. She's an
0: extremist and, when it comes to yeah. writing. She's a very extreme writer. She, yeah. she as I, I just went and looked at her her past yeah. articles, and all I all I saw was. The fo- fossil fuel industry would be screwed without the U.S. government propping it up, and I went no credibility with that writer in my world.
1: No, no. Well, not only that, but uh, she also writes uh, for uh, uh, Jacobin magazine, uh, which is an online magazine. Now, for the for, your, for our listeners who don't know what who the Jacobins were, the uh, Jacobins, I guess, is the proper way to say it. The Jacobins, the Jacobins were the uh, the party that. Uh, uh, got behind the French Revolution and created the Reign of Terror. <laughs> okay. And, of course, they're heroes to the left. They've always been heroes to the left ever over the last 200, and, uh, what is it, 30 years or whatever. So the, the uh, and she cites herself as a climate journalist and producer at Real News Network. So, you know, I looked at what she wrote for the uh, Jacobin magazine, and it she has an article called Socialism or Extin- Extinction. And, of course, you know, she poses a ridiculous uh, uh, choice and then and chooses socialism and says we can't get there fast enough you know, to avoid this extinction. And then she uh, um, she also writes the article such as you mentioned. So uh, clearly this is, this is a radical uh, climate activist and more, more than that, climate is just the excuse. It's just the excuse. She's really a leftist and, and, and beyond leftist. She's, she's approaching communism. And uh, the she's certainly a socialist, and so just like we see so many times, uh, the climate and the fracking become convenient uh, tools to advance that cause. And
0: I I, I got to be honest, Tom. I'm I'm thinking that communism and socialism is is too kind because that's I mean not, when 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 I'm when I'm skimming and reading through this story. Yeah. This is this is uh, Orwellian and just is creepy. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is this is somewhere between sociopath and narcissist.
1: Well, I have to agree with you. I mean, it's uh but isn't that the truth of, you know, of all uh, in like
0: communism, at least you have some rights, don't you? You get one right <laughs> left in, in this in this you don't have any. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh Jason, you and I uh, we, we're always in sync on this stuff. But anyway, the uh, uh, so that, that's what's behind this. I mean, we've got the combination of of the gentry class money funding this Ohio River Valley Institute study, which is junk science. Uh, and the gentry class money is always behind these causes. You know, the, the, the trust funder class is is always feeling guilty about the wealth that they, they feel that they uh, weren't deserving of, but they have, and they aren't willing to give up. So what they try to do is turn that wealth into a cause that makes them look as good as their ancestors that created the money, you
0: know? And, uh, so I, I got a, you know, let's talk about the actual issue here, which is yeah, um, sure. uh, sh- shitty journalism. Let's just start with yeah. that. that. And that's really what we're talking about is yeah, absolutely. We're, we're talking about a study that was done and it, it, it was initially done, my guess from what I've read and what I've seen and the players involved, it was like the study was written before it was conducted. Okay, so they, they, it's, it's oh, like, sure. yeah, you you, you give money to somebody, and it's kind of like when you want a house to be appraised at a quarter million, so you hire the appraiser that'll work with you, you know, right. kind of like one of those deals. where I, I used to sell real estate, and I loved when the appraiser would call me ahead of time and say, what do you need it in at? Okay, well, yeah. that's great. You haven't that's seen always- it yet, but, oh, you know, 250 would be great, you know? So, yeah, okay. that's exactly what happens. I I <laughs> So when I I see these studies, that's what I see, and I I used to call it media mad libs because I was a part of those morning meetings where the the editor or the news director would make up the news before the day would start, and it was our job to go fill in the blanks, And, and I couldn't work for an organization like that, so I left, and I went and did my own thing because you know i I have a mirror around the house. I like to look in occasionally. I've got a son that I've got to you know teach some ethics to a number of different things. So what we're talking about is is the funding of just just kind of noise and the funding of uh editorializing to disguise it as journalism to advance their political agenda. That's how I look at it. Is This is nothing more than a lobbyist who has yeah. a uh, pen and a computer clacking keys as opposed to you know, a T&E budget and you know, a, a private jet to fly around the country. Your thoughts?
1: Well, I agree 100% and it goes even further because what you have in this case, the, the Ohio River Valley, uh, it's actually the Ohio River Valley uh, Initiative, I said institute, I think, but there is no such thing. I mean, it, it's just a name. That what it is, it's the it's the what I said is in my article, is it's the Potemkin face of the Community Foundation for the Alleghenies, and that's funded by the Heinz Endowment. So the Heinz, this gentry class outfit, the Heinz Endowment, uh, Teresa Heinz carry and her her uh, her three sons by her first husband, John Heinz. They they run the Heinz Endowment, and. Uh, and by the way, one of those sons uh, is was uh, Hunter Biden's uh, partner in the Ukraine. So, but that's neither here nor there. the the uh, the, the Heinz Endowment so they fund this community foundation, and they fund it specifically to do anti fracking stuff. And they then create something. They just create a name called the Ohio River Valley Initiative to give it a an appearance of uh, of science and substance. When there is not, there is no substance. There is no science, and uh, uh, you know. And what they did is they took, you know, like I said, they cherry picked certain data, uh, and they uh, they ignored uh, areas that didn't fit their template. And what they did is they compared it to U.S. averages. They said, "Well, personal income didn't grow as fast as it did across the country." Well, that's not fair. You and I are both huge advocates of rural America, right? And and. And we know that in rural America, we don't have the incomes or the expenses, I might add, of New York City's five counties, okay? So New York City's five counties contribute to that average and drive it up, you know, just like other, you know, other similar situations in the counties around Washington, D.C. But those aren't comparable. Those, that's not apples and, and uh, you know, apples versus apples. It's apples versus oranges or whatever. So the, the, that's what they did. They essentially took certain counties and they left out certain counties, compared it to the U.S. as a whole, and, and tried to arrive at this conclusion that somehow it didn't do well. But if you really look at the eight, for example, the eight Pennsylvania shale counties, they grew income, personal income, faster than the state. If you look at the seven uh, West Virginia shale counties, uh, they grew better than the than West Virginia as a whole. So again, we can we can take that data, uh, we can apply it more responsibly and come up with the exact opposite conclusion as to what Frackal came up with. Um, it's, and as you said, it's just crappy journalism.
0: When, I've, when I get together with some of my old school media colleagues who have, you know, been fired or let go or left the industry over the last 10 years, which we can get to that in just a second. But um, we, we would sit back and kind of joke a little bit that, you know, really today's media what, what it boils down to is, is they, they, they can turn Bambi into Hitler. So what, what yep. they'll do is they'll focus on one point, and then they'll dissect, speculate, and hypothesize until Bambi is Hitler. Oh, Bambi was abandoned by his mother. And I mean, just all kinds of different things. And you can take the most ridiculous thing and make it sound logical. And if it sounds logical, well, then the public kind of accepts it as long as it's from you know a trusting yeah. source and it makes them feel good and a number of different yeah. things. Um, no, but the, the, the getting back to the, you know, the kind of the cast it off members of the media, I joke because um, in Fargo, North Dakota, the uh, publisher has been there for like twenty years. Okay, the the and and we were joking that he, he arguably could be the worst publisher in the history of uh, of newspapers because the newspaper has gone from a daily publication down to two days a week, and no other publishers probably lasted that long because they've got fired, let go, or gone some other way because. 20 years to go through you know, a, a major monopoly down to you know, on the verge of bankruptcy, that's, that's incredible you know, on, on your yeah. watch, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, and a lot of it's beyond his control, this and that. But at the yeah, same man. time, I, I, I argue this, that if newspapers would have decided to investigate against the companies instead of accepting more money, um, their subscriptions would have gone up. But since on. they decided to take, you know, the money from a half a dozen masters so that 50% of their budget was covered, their, their editorial went to shit. And now you've yeah. got subscription problems. That's what I've found. And I, I love it because it's opened up a door for me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And that is the beauty of our country is that you can, so far you can continue to you can do that, although I'm worried that
0: our free speech is going to be
1: completely dissolved in in a matter of a couple years if we keep going at the rate we're going
0: uh, and and there's a lot of truth behind that we'll have to revisit that at another time because that is um there's there's some serious ramifications uh that are happening very quickly and i don't think people understand i don't think people understand how quickly it's happening
1: i don't uh, well they they understand something bad is happening I, i sense that but they don't appreciate the details of it and um that's on all of us to explain it i guess but Anyway, we'll do that another day, and uh, take it from me, fracasia is junk science, um, and the the article about fracasia is even more junky. <laughs> so.
0: how, about, how about a quick update from the Marcellus? You got anything out there? Anything uh, on your site that we should be aware of, or anything as we kind of conclude here?
1: Well, I think one of the things I've got an article up uh, this morning about what's happen- uh, happening in New York. I've had a couple of articles in New York now. Of course, fracking isn't allowed in New York at the current time. But what they're doing is uh, they are uh, pursuing this climate action with a passion. And uh, I've got a meteorologist, uh, fellow, who is uh, has his own blog, and I, I have permission to republish some of his posts, and he goes into great depth this morning, uh, explaining that New York is just, you know, sacrificing everything in the way of affordability and energy reliability to political correctness on the climate side. And... And it's going to cost them big time. They're going to they're going to have a Texas-sized problem before you know it. So that's what's new.
0: I'm looking at that right now. Uh, Texas, the lessons, and not the lessons from the energy debacle. Yep, yeah, yeah. that's it.
1: And there's another one too this morning. So uh, that okay. was yesterday's. Actually, there's oh, another one this
0: morning. I see. Yeah. Okay, I'm just taking a look at a few that you've got here. All right. Yeah, and but he's uh,
1: Roger is a uh, Kaza is a. Uh, is a superb analyst. He's retired and he's got the time to do this kind of thing. And uh, he's really um, he's really exposes with just very kind of boring facts, but yet they add up to something very interesting. Which is that uh, New York is just headed down a very bad path, very bad path, and uh, it makes you wonder about the future of the country. I mean, we have these blue states that are just they're insane, insane.
0: Are people? Um... And this is going to sound really bizarre, but are are people leaving New York? And are oh yes. Okay, so and, and are are immigrants coming in? Are there other Are other, pe- are other states thing. coming in? I guess are they getting anybody moving in?
1: They're getting some immigrants, and that's the only thing that's sustained them in the last uh, several years. I mean, if you okay. if you look at the migration patterns, you'll see that, uh, particularly the IRS data, uh, you'll see that people are uh, wage earners, uh, or you know. People who have stable incomes and so on are moving out, and New York is emptying out. Uh, but they've been sustained by having some movement in of uh, migrants and things like that. But of course, uh, those folks, and again, nothing against them. I'm all in favor of a certain amount of immigration as long as it's legal. But, but the, but the uh, when you they're not they're not you know higher income earners. They're not contributing. They're they're takers more
0: than they are makers. Oh no, it's it, it's a problem here in North Dakota. Yeah. Um, oh, it's a huge problem. Um, Where there's been so many grassroots organizations that have come up, been demonized by the social shamers because, God forbid, yep. you can't take on you know a an, an, an immigrant trying to just soak off the system. And and I I used to be very sensitive to this because I've I, for twenty years I've been volunteering. Uh, reading English to to immigrants who do not know English. Okay, we're talking yeah. about eighth grade, ninth grade students. Yeah. Okay, that they they are brought they are brought over here and put into the system without knowing any English. No yeah. assimilation. Okay, so that that to me was twenty years ago. I started listening to these grassroots organizations a little bit more because of my firsthand experience of oh yeah. my goodness, this is like a eighth grade student who does not know how to speak English very well at all, and and yet is going to school that is predominantly English. Okay, there's a problem here. Well, then two years ago, um, my my neighbor just moved over here from, uh, I want to say Ghana or the Sudan. I can't remember which uh, African country it was, but uh, there's, a, there's a group that goes over to the Middle East and brings, right. brings refugees over, and then they just right. let them go. So here this guy in the middle of the wintertime had no coat, no snow shovel, and by the way, he's making more than any of us not working. So, so I, we, we call it, or not we, there's a group that keeps calling it silent socialism. That they continue to bring in, uh, by they, the government, continues to bring in these uh, refugees or immigrants, and then they subsidize them for like five years. And yeah. and if that's what's happening in New York, that's interesting, because a little bit's happening at North Dakota, too, where we're getting uh, some people leaving, but the government's bringing people in that are subsidized. Like, even I saw the other day, Joe Biden wants to bring a whole bunch up now, like in a bus. Yeah. I can just like bring them up from the border And I'm like, this is a different topic Okay, uh, anyway, sorry I just, um, silent uh, socialism Silent socialism, that's how I got yeah. off on that Sorry to keep you so long, but we appreciate it
1: Oh, I always love coming on your show, Jason, anytime You do a great job
3: Thank you Oh,
0: California dreamer She's dreaming
3: again Yes, I love that baby
0: She drove me crazy home oh, the
4: sea.
3: you know how to look and you want to be
4: the music heard on the crude life morning show play hard work hard is by the Moody river band
2: yes you know the waves like you know your skin feel them flowing
4: over you again. interested in becoming a sponsor Email studio at the The Crude Life,
0: play hard, work hard, is sponsored in part by Blackwater Environmental is a family-owned company with over 10 years of on-site industrial experience, offering inspections, consulting, coding failure analysis, specification writing, and coding application services, along with many other services for energy, oil, gas, and municipalities. Blackwater Environmental was started in Moorcraft, Wyoming, but has grown to a larger facility in Gillette, Wyoming, where they provide a better quality of service for their customers. For more information on Blackwater Environmental, check out their website, blackwaterenviro.com. That's blackwaterenviro.com.
4: The Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. Is sponsored in part by...
2: For more than 100 years, First International Bank and Trust has been headquartered in western North Dakota, home of the Bakken. Our proven record of mineral management, appraisal, and brokerage services is now enhanced by the only Bakken-specific software, Mineral Tracker. Trust First International Mineral and Land Services and Mineral Tracker to protect your interests and help build and preserve a financial legacy for generations to come.
0: Great American Mining monetizes wasted, stranded, and undervalued gas throughout the oil and gas industry by using it as a power generation source for Bitcoin mining. Great American Mining Company brings the market and their expertise to the molecule. Their solutions make producers more efficient and profitable while helping reduce flaring and venting throughout the oil and gas value chain. And if you're a mineral owner, Check out how much Bitcoin you could be making right now with your valued gas. Go to GAM.AI. That's Great American Mining, GAM.AI. The Industrial Forest. It takes an industry to build a forest. industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard. Now let's work hard.
5: Kenda Martinez with Caprock Environmental
2: Safety.
0: Caprock Environmental Safety. Let's get to that in a moment or two because my understanding is that is not primarily an oil and gas industry, although it does have some roots to it, as well as you do some work with oil and gas companies still. But talk to me about your early days of when you got started in the industry. My understanding is you've been in the oil and gas industry now for almost 20 years?
5: That is correct. So I actually,
0: I, go ahead. I was going to say, so go ahead and tell me how you got started. You you don't have to get into ages because I don't want to get disrespectful this early on in the interview. (laughs) (laughs)
5: No, my uh, my grandmother that raised me said that a lady that tells her age will tell anything. So we'll just skip the age part.
0: No problem, because I'm 39 going on many times, and we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, you got into the industry about 20 years ago. What, what What type of job and what type of work were you doing? And how many other females were your contemporaries 20 years ago in the industry? Three questions right out of the gate. Boom, go. <laughs>
5: I moved out here to the, uh, moved to the Midland Odessa area and got tired of working in the office and, and doing the administrative assistant thing, and so I decided that I was going to go work in the oil field. I looked around me, and I was in awe of everything that was around me, and I started off, I got a position with a company that's now now owned by NOV. And I was a warehouse assistant. I was a warehouse clerk, and that lasted for about a day. Um, I loved to drive, and I saw the the drivers going out taking parts to the rigs, and that's what I wanted to do. So I begged and pleaded and and annoyed people until they put me behind the wheel. And so I started out as a hotshot driver, running parts out to the rigs. Um, my only other female coworker at that time was the other warehouse assistant. Um I did not see women out in the field hardly ever.
0: How about there doing were, were, Oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh,
5: there were a few, but they were very far, you know, very few and far between.
0: How about hotshot drivers? I would think that would be a pretty um I don't want to say easy, but a but a pretty kind of a kind of one that would be gravitated towards somebody, you know, either a a female or somebody who's not going to be slinging chains, if you will, you know, the dangerous work that uh, the oil and gas industry uh, can provide, you know, the not that drive, not that driving a vehicle out to a rig is not dangerous in itself. I don't want to diminish that at all. But um, was there any other, you know, female hotshot drivers? Do you think did you notice?
5: Not not at that time, no.
0: Okay, okay.
5: Not that I personally knew and came across.
0: Yeah, to me it was a, uh, the oil and gas industry, I noticed its history was a lot like ag. Primarily male-dominated in even the areas where, you know, there was just kind of, seemed like, you know, easy entry for other opportunities, whether it be, you know, younger generation or inexperienced or females, whatever it might be. Um, so you've, have you been in the oil and gas industry then for about the last 20 years outside of the last, you know, okay. So you worked in oil and gas for 20 years, COVID happened. Um, and now you kind of are, are doing more sanitation type work. Is that right? Talk to me about what you're currently doing.
5: Well, um, what we're doing now, the company that I'm with now, my business partner and I saw a need whenever COVID hit. And we acquired a product that's similar to, but not the same, that a lot of people out here have. And we started going around to all the rigs uh, that that we already had relationships with. She and I had both been in oil and gas for several years. And one of the things that, along the way, I don't have customers. I say, I don't have customers. I've built relationships. And we both had people that had followed us along from company to company, that had remained our customers. And we went to those and said, "Hey, you know, this this is what we're doing. This is about our product." And they said, "Well, we'll come on with it. Let's let's do it." And so we currently have all of the Permian rigs for three different drilling companies out in the Midland Odessa area.
0: Well, that's interesting, oh so you are doing um some some good work in the oil and gas industry still when we were talking a little bit you know before the interview, I just kind of you know assumed you were you know restaurants and you know small events and offices and that sort of thing so you're you're getting out there on the rigs still using you know your your relationships and this and that so um so we do those other things also. No, no, I know yeah. that. That's what I mean. I just assumed that you were just doing that, but you are actually uh, still getting uh, these these sanitations out of the rig. Talk to me a little bit about that. How how does that? Uh, how does a company go through something like that? Where does you know who's who? Who within the company would you be contacting for something like that? Do they have some sort of sanitation worker? Or is it health and safety? HR? What, what would that be? Uh,
5: it really just depends on the company. Okay. You know, every every drilling company has their, or every, you know, every operator, every company has their own chain of command for different things. Uh, our first, our first points of contact were the guys that we knew on the rigs, the, the company men, the rig managers, uh, the safety guys. Those were the first people that we hit up the people that we had had relationship you know business relationships with previously and then they would tell us to go from there hey you need to talk to the superintendent uh you need to talk to the lead you know uh hse you know it, it they would direct us from there on who to speak with and how to get that get that going um at the time that we decided to start doing it covid was was here it was rampant um, not that it's still not, even though people want to pretend like it's not. Um, and, and it was something that whenever we went in and explained our product to people, it was, hey, look, when, when can you do it? Here's your MSA.
0: So you're now in Lubbock after being in Odessa, Texas, Midland, Odessa. For Were you in Midland, Odessa for 20 years?
5: Uh, I was around in the area.
0: Okay. And
5: Carlsbad, Pecos, uh, Kermit, I, I oh, wow. usually don't let the dust settle under my feet.
0: Boy, you did all the bedroom community tour of <laughs> Midland, Odessa, boy, Carlsbad, and, uh, did you say Kermit? That's where the Winkler Refinery is going, the Walton Refinery, sorry, Winkler's the county, uh, Walton the, Refinery. Uh,
5: yes, yes, I lived in Kermit and, um, you know, I, I am going to grudgingly say that I actually lived in Wink
0: twice. So So what did you, what what would you say over the last 20 years? You know, I mean, you've seen quite a bit of growth, I'd imagine. I mean, has it been, has it been like, you know, manageable growth? Did it get, you know, did the horse get out of the barn in some areas? You know, in up in my neck of the woods in the Bakken for a while, it was, the local politics got really comical in some areas. I want to say, was it Gladstone Gladstone, North Dakota, they tried to actually dissolve the park district because they they were trying to profit off it, renting it out to oil field workers. Well, then they just took over the park district, so the people, the locals got mad, and they just wanted to dissolve it. I mean, just weird little local politics and things like that, but at the same time, Highway 22 got built, and boy, everybody loves that, so that was a positive, but... Anything that stands out over the last 20 years of just kind of that Midland-Odessa area that either, you know, it was a growing pain or thank God that was put in there, <laughs> you know, something like that?
5: I, I don't know, Jason. I mean, there's, there's so many things, and I honestly, I stay in my own bubble. Sure. Um, I would like the main thing that I can point out is that State Representative Brooks Landgraff with an amazing, phenomenal politician, and I do not like politicians at all, not even a little bit, um, widened 302 and had some stake, I believe, in widening 285. And those are two of the most dangerous highways in the United States. Um, The Deaths Highway, both of them. And those both got taken from little two-lane rickety ranch type roads or farm to market type roads even though they're state highways um, those those are now four lanes in most areas
0: that's a big deal that's a big deal yeah, yeah oh you yeah. like that's why I brought up <laughs> highway 22 in, in North Dakota and even I'll even say 85 when the bypass was put in in Watford City lives were saved. One of the first things I, I texted when I got down to Texas, I haven't been in Texas you know, until this last year in a while. And the roads are narrower. The roads are narrower. And like just a <clears throat> little bit, just a little bit. And so I thought I was going crazy. And I texted a few friends of mine that work in government up in, the, in Minnesota and North Dakota. And I said, I think I'm going crazy, but these Texas roads seem much narrower. And of course, when you're driving... With semis everywhere, you're very conscious of that. You're very conscious of that, right? Because I've driven through Chicago. I know what it's like to have a little bit of extra room. Okay, so um, anyway, I did. Sorry, I did a little trucker talk there. But um, oh no, but you're fine. Okay, I so said... but but they, what they texted back was snow removal. Everyone texted back snow removal. So apparently, the roads up north of the Mason Dixon line are a little bit wider because of snow removal. I thought it was maybe just because, you know, some people were cutting corners and things like that, but um, boy, that's that's an important part, these roads. It really is. In fact, when I was talking to uh, Tracy Bentley in charge of the Permian uh, Partnership, Permian Basin Partnership, that was one, that's one of her top priorities, is, is getting roads yes. widened and, and that sort of thing. So uh, you're in Lubbock now, uh, a couple hours yep. away, and so... Where, where the roads are much
5: narrower, and a big a, a big ram 2500 4x4 with ridge grapplers on it. Uh, it it's hard to maneuver
0: would you say that would you say that you're transitioning out of oil and gas or you're trying to stay in oil and gas does that question make sense to you?
5: it does I, I never thought that I would leave oil and gas It's like once you get bitten by that by that black gold bug, and you see those paychecks coming in and you feel good after putting in that hard day's work that, you know, I never thought that I would leave this industry. Um, Unfortunately, due to life circumstances, some good, some bad, um, I've had to pretty much step out of the oil and gas industry. I think that I will always have my toe in it in some form, but, it's not going to be the uh, the queen of the oil field anymore. Well, I, I'm relinquishing that crown to somebody else.
0: I got, a, I got a tough question for you. And it's not, sure. it's not meant to be combative. And it's not huh? meant to be pot stirring in any way. Mm-hmm. Do, do you feel like you're almost being rejected by the industry? Um, and the reason I say that is I know a lot of people trying to stay in the industry. But the industry's got like nothing for them. And so they, you know, it's it's reject after reject after reject, and I don't mean reject in a negative way. You know, it's like, hey, if you go for a job interview and you don't get the job, you got rejected. You got, you know, another door slammed in your face. You're still got some business with the oil and gas industry, so you're, you know, you're doing the best you can and hustling out there and everything. But um, when I talked to a gentleman last week who worked in the oil and gas industry for 29 years, and when COVID went within a year. Within one year, he went from 100% oil and gas to 20% oil and gas, 80% wind, because that's where the contracts went. And he does underwater welding and deep offshore welding and that sort of stuff. So he, you know, he's kind of ahead of the ahead of the on onshore stuff, um, on land stuff. So, uh, what, what, just talk to me a little bit about how you're processing. You know, given so much to the industry and now, you know, are you having troubles getting jobs or, you know, is is it a rejection or is it a keeping it? I guess I'm trying to not get you in trouble and get you to answer the question. <laughs> oh,
5: no, no. And, and I mean, I, I understand the question. Mine mine is, in my particular case, it is not rejection. Okay. Um, At all. Not even close. Well, because
0: uh, being laid off is pretty normal in the industry. That's pretty oh, normal. Yeah. Yeah.
5: Yeah. yeah, the last company that I, the the last company that I actually worked for, uh, I got laid off April 16th of last year, I believe it was the 16th, the middle of April, and I still text my supervisor that I still have a good relationship with, I still text him probably a couple times a month, and they, you know, I want to come back to work, and give like the crying emoji, you know, the bawling emoji, and, and... It's just not where, the industry just not where I could go back to work for them. Um, my transition is because of circumstances, personal life circumstances, uh, and my significant other. I moved to be with him. And also, the main thing is that Last year, the beginning of last year, I actually contracted COVID. Um, I was sick for four months, very, very, very sick. Um, and I've been left with some lifelong side effects from it. And I am no longer able to go 150 miles an hour on two hours of sleep and go, go, go type A hustle anymore. I'm just not able to do it. So that's that's the reason for my semi transition.
0: Sure. Are you talking to colleagues, coworkers? You've been in oil and gas for twenty years. Uh, are you talking to anybody who is getting laid off? Anybody who's getting rehired? Anybody who's finding new opportunity? Uh, within the industry or maybe outside of the industry? Just, you know, are you are you staying in touch with anybody or, you know, is it just you and the love of your life and everybody else can piss off? No, I'm just kidding.
5: <laughs> no, no. I, I mean, my, my best friends are, are friends that I've made in the industry. Uh, you know, the oil field's a family, and I like to think that we try to stay together and we try to stay connected regardless of what anybody goes through. And, and yes, I mean, I talk to people every day that, uh, you know, friends, colleagues, people that I don't even know, reach out to me on LinkedIn, you know, Hey, I got laid off. Um, I heard that you have a lot of contacts. Do you, do you know anybody hiring or, Hey, I just got on at this company and I know that you don't know me, but I know you have a big network and we're, and we're hiring. So if you know anybody, send them our way. Um, and, and then I do know people that are like, man, screw this, I'm, I'm gone, I'm, I'm going home, you know, I'm going to work for Verizon or Amazon or, you know, I'm going to stay home and keep the kids because the wife's a nurse or, mm-hmm. or something like that.
0: Well, last October, you know, we've, at the Crude Life, we've had a pretty good track record of being prophetic in fact, my my one buddy calls me the shale play profit because we were well, there's certain signs you can see. And and when you when you take a look at the economy and you take a look at the social indicators, like for example, 2014 we called year of the pipeline. Well, the actually the Dapple protest happened. That right. that next year, you know, and Last year, what was it, 2019, we said 2020, be ready for anything, and we thought it was a 16-year-old girl with her environmental movement going across the country that was going to be the biggest, you know, threat to the industry. Turns out it was COVID, and right. yeah, and so again, we were ready for anything here at the Crude Life, because like we said, ready for anything. This last year, we had, we've, we've had a couple um, predictions. We usually make them in October, and this one, though, we said defined by defection, where I really believe a lot of people are going to defect from the industry this year for a variety of reasons. One is just the sheer marketplace, that the the same amount of investment is not going in there for a variety of reasons, whether it be lack of just sheer investing or it's this new ESG movement that is making people go to more school and training and re-education before they can invest in oil and gas. Either way, it kicks the can down the road of now of investing, so... When I hear interviews like yours and Mike Renfro uh, from Blue Boat Subsea going from oil and gas to to wind, basically, and I'm, by the way, every chance I get, I dog wind energy. I, I think the Amish and the farmers from 150 years ago were more effective and efficient with wind energy than we are today, but I'll, I'll, I don't have any problem bringing someone on to talk about it because... You know, I don't have well, all. I don't. I don't have all the answers. I'm not the smart. You know, so we're just anyway. Go ahead. Sorry.
5: Well, I mean, and, and on the wind energy thing, I mean, it, it's a great thing, but it needs to work hand in hand with oil and gas. I mean, oil and gas is the backbone of the entire world's right. economy and <laughs> the products that we use. And people just, if you're hacking on oil and gas, you don't get it. You don't understand. You need to do your
0: research. Well, and it's like, um, it's, what's so different about it, and this is the other part of the defection part, is that there, there's a little bit of big tobacco, you know, modern-day leper involved here, where, where in, in Colorado, they didn't even have to use words. All they did was put a picture of a woman holding a baby next to an oil rig, and that was, that was all they did for their advertisements in order to frame the message. So when, when you're kind of the new big tobacco and an employee is no longer making six figures from a company and they're getting publicly shamed at the dinner parties and Thanksgiving and this and that. It's it's tough to hang on to an industry like that. It's really hard to hang on to a belief system when everybody around is it, well, I call it state-sponsored shaming because it's okay to shame oil and gas workers right now. In fact, the president of the United States is telling people to go and go go find a new job. It was back when um they, they did how about he comes and finds a new job? Yeah, well, they did, they did it in coal. <laughs> people, people forget back in the late 90s when they started demonizing coal. I think it was Clinton, the administration, who said, go learn how to code. You're telling a bunch of coal miners who probably a lot of them don't even have a high school education to go learn C plus plus and go learn how to code. What are you crazy? And so I kind of feel like that's what John Kerry and Joe Biden did, the oil and gas industry when they said, Go build solar panels, you know? Just just say well, no. Just go do what we do, you know, type. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. And and
5: you know, and, and no disrespect to Mr. Biden. Um but Again, people don't get it. You don't get it, sir. You don't understand. Come out here and do my job. Go, go. you know, sling some, some, some tongs or something. You'll get it. But, well, and I also, I mean, my belief is, is that anybody, the President of the United States, the Queen of England, whoever, can say what they want. But my feeling is that the oil and gas industry is so strong and powerful that we can push back i I feel like that that is you know and i'm not even going to get into the politics i'm a libertarian i think the government needs to stay the hell off my lawn but you know i think that society like we need to push back like aren't you sick of getting pushed around
0: that's the hard part about being a libertarian is nobody shows up to the meetings because they're all doing their own thing and but you know they want to, though. Yeah, no, they totally do. No, They, they secretly want to. It's I, like I, I laugh. To I, I laugh because, you know, I, I used to tell people when it comes to, you know, wh- whatever right it was, whether it's gun control or cannabis or right to life or whatever, or, you know, prescription drugs, I don't care. Whatever the issue was that was polarizing America, I used to look at them and say, libertarians take care of that. Leave it just right up to the person.
5: Yeah, well, I mean, like I said, it's like eating a bag of chips in church. You know, everybody's looking at you and side-eyeing you and everything, but deep inside, they want some chips too.
0: Oh, totally, totally. You know, and
5: I think that until America decides to get away from its two this archaic two-party system, nothing's going to really the guts of the government is not going to change.
0: I think we're entering into a different world. Um, and I think it's already here. I, I, I think we're entering a world of corporate oversight, okay? Because the corporations yeah. know what we're doing before we do because we've done it to ourselves with our phone and the internet and et cetera. So, so the, yeah. the cor- like, have you ever heard that, um, it was from 10 years ago. I mean, this was 10 years ago this study was done. Google knew when flu outbreaks would happen before the CDC, because of people going and searching about flu symptoms. So Google was informing the CDC before when was was you know basically doing the predictions of where these things were going to happen, okay? So we've done it to ourselves. So we you know we, we oh, yeah. So when when I say we're entering into a world of corporate oversight, that's what I mean is that the corporations actually have more oversight over our lives than the government does, but the government has control over us. So I believe we're entering a world of corporate oversight and government control. And that's why I believe it is very dangerous when the government works so closely with corporations now. Because oh, yeah. the, because now then the person who's live is the, the one living their life. They're the third person that has input on their own life. Because the corporations have number one. The government's got number two. Because remember, the corporations control the government for the most part. And um, yeah, and so... Anyway, that's just—I don't know. There's a little existential energy for you here on a uh, on, on on a morning. It might get a little bit too much in the weeds for you, but you're a libertarian, so yeah. I think you know what I'm talking about. Oh yeah. So yeah, let's I'm, let's talk I'm a little glad, bit. Let's talk a little bit about um, getting back with that narrative, getting control of. What you want in your life, and you would like to see more women in the oil and gas industry be honored and be showcased and respected and just kind of awareness. So I'd like to lead in with this a little bit because I want to transition away from the defection into the respect. But one of the other reasons why I believe there'll be, uh, this is the year that'll be defined by defections, it's because of the spouses. When you take a look at an oil field traditional spouse, they are some of the most important people in the industry that I believe they should be getting the annual bonuses over the workers because if they're at home making sure the kids get in school, keeping the house together, making sure the the, the husband's life is being operated, well, they're sacrificing too out at the rigs and this and that. But they got a per diem and they got they got a little bit different stress than the family stress. Okay, I'm not gonna I'm, I'm not gonna compare one to the other. But what I am gonna do is say. I believe that the oil field spouses are going to be a big, big wild card in this whole oil and gas industry employment going in the next uh, um, couple of years. And I believe it's because they are that critical and that important to the industry. Uh, your thoughts on that?
5: I, th- I think you're, I think you're on point with that. <clears throat> Whether male or female, right. Uh, you, you have to be supportive of your spouse. Um, you have to be in tune. You have to learn about their job. You need to learn about their job. You need to learn what they do in the field. You, you need to ask the question, how can I be a better spouse to you? How can I support you better? And and you do. You need to hold it down at home, whatever it is, whether it's feeding the kids or feeding the dog. Um, I've been a military spouse. I'm a police spouse now. Um, it's I, I get it. I understand what needs to happen at home and now that i'm the one that's out working or or was i know what i need from my spouse and i need my spouse to be a strong person and hold it together and get shit done can i say shit get stuff done um
2: you can just
0: find don't worry about it it's cool (laughs) It's, I, I it's the a, crude life, baby. It's all just raw okay, and real here. Well,
5: I try to be respectful, you know, and all that, but I'm, I am still oh, oil-filled.
0: We so. threw that out a long time ago. <laughs>
5: okay. Um, you know, I need to know that when I'm out doing my job, that I don't have to worry about what's going on at home because a lot of the stuff to do with the oil and gas industry, you being focused and... You being on point with your job duties is the difference between your life and death sometimes. Whether it's driving to and from location, uh, whether it's being on the rig floor, you know, so many factors there. But you need to be 100% for your own safety. And for that reason, you know, you don't need to worry about the bullshit at home. You need to be able to trust that things are taken care of and your spouse should be your teammate, not your enemy.
0: The other thing that I think is going to be important going into the next year for a lot of people as they try to reassess and reinvent and you know rebrand their lives, if you will. The one thing that the oil and gas industry brings, and it's very attractive, is the sense of purpose. going to work every day knowing that you are actually playing a critical role. And no matter in the oil and gas industry, there's no role too small, and every, you know, everything needs to work together, and that's part of the beauty of the supply chain and how it works. So if you're a if you know if you're a hotshot tool you know running tools that's like that, that's like so important that people make a good living on that you know it's like whoa someone can make a living just running tools back and forth the wells that's awesome so yeah, yeah that's, it's incredible so it's very purposeful to know that when you turn your lights on you contributed with that I I compare it to I grew up in the farming world so a lot of farmers felt very very you know prideful and and proud at thanksgiving like they helped build this meal they helped grow right. this meal and so right. when when oil right. and gas yeah. workers drive they feel like they helped contribute to people driving you you um contracted covid you are now trying to sanitize places so it's covid free and trying to fight that battle if you will you transition from purpose to purpose so i i think that that side of your brain or that little itch in your brain was satisfied. I do think that's going to be a problem for some people. If they go to retail or, you know, go to Amazon, boy, they're going to feel that kind of that lack of purpose pretty quick, I think, in oil and gas. So I don't know if you agree or disagree or have even thought about that before. Just I'd like to know your comments on that.
5: No, I I definitely agree. and, And I will tell you a little short side story here. My oldest son. Lives in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Well, lives, lives in the Dallas area. It's a stockbroker. Came home from the military. Uh, came home from a military career. Very lost. Without purpose. And you, you nailed it. The, the purpose thing was what was at stake there. Drifted from uh, brokerage to brokerage relationship to relationship, apartment to apartment, zero direction in his life. His dad calls me up and says, hey, I'm, I'm sending this kid out there to you. Now, keep in mind this kid's in his late 20s, okay? So he's not really a kid, but, you know, he's he's still my baby. Um, I said, sure, bring him, you know, send him out here. He's going to work his ass off. But yeah, sure, bring him out here. Mama, Mama will whip him into shape. And, of course, his father had many doubts that Mama would be able to do that task because he had been unsuccessful at doing it. This kid was out here in the Midland area for less than 24 hours. He came just for a, for a visit, quote-unquote visit. And he came to me, and he said, Mama, he said, do you care if I stay here with you? I said, well, absolutely not, son. What do you want to do? You know, what, what's going on here? He said, I want to work out here. I said, okay, son, but let me tell you, your mama's got some high expectations. This is how this is going to go. You know, if you screw up, mama's going to get a phone call. Believe that. And, you know, if anything bad happens, mama's going to know about it. And I don't care how old you are. It's going to be bad when it comes from mama if you screw up. Well, long story short, this kid was out here for two years. Turned into one of the best hands that many people out here had come across. He got a job for a company that I was working for at the time on his own merit. Um, Went in and and pleaded his case to the supervisor and described why he would be an asset and got hired. This kid turned out to be one of the best hands out here. Um, Got laid off, went back. To Dallas, he's back to being a, a stockbroker now, but uh, he got his purpose. He got his purpose out here. He was able to put in a hard day's work, reap the benefits from it, and he was able to temporarily find his niche in, niche in the world. And he is doing exceptionally well now from the
0: experience that he gained working out here. Yeah, I like hearing those stories about, you know, just, it's a lot like the military. It's a lot like, um, oh, what's the word I was looking at? Just a, a very training camp, if you will, because the oil and gas industry is is mirrors that military a lot. Brian Lash, the former absolutely founder yes. of Target Logistics, and I would talk about that all the time. He used to do the uh, temporary housing for like Halliburton overseas, and he ended up doing the Olympics and all this stuff. And he brings yes. that up the similarities. But he brought up an interesting uh, uh, analogy one day about how you know somebody like your son just kind of plopping around you know for a while pl- pl- un- without purpose and everything else, or you get a kid who doesn't want to go to college. And mm-hmm. either way, you know, these kids are without purpose. They go in the oil and gas industry for five years. They save up enough money. Now they can go buy a subway franchise or go start their own business when they actually figure out what they want to do. So even that's if the oil and they- gas industry is a pit stop, it becomes a, a, like a monumental, life-changing pit stop for a lot of people. That's, that's a great way to look at it too, you know, because it does pay Definitely.
5: well. You know, and being out here working out here – and then going back to being a stockbroker, you know, work, working in the financial industry, this is actually, his experience out here has given him a new take on, on his trades and the decisions that he makes regarding a lot of stuff. Um, and now he pretty much studies oil and gas companies and takeovers and, and buyouts and, you know, that, that's kind of become his little specialty. So, um, you know, it, it helped him because before he thought oil and gas, that was just, it was evil. It was terrible, you know, and, and then it started putting several, several thousands of dollars a month in his bank account. And, um, he got a little different take on it.
0: Why do you think so many people have a negative view of oil and gas without ever setting foot without ever working in there? I bring up, the um, this is part of the defined by defection again, where 10 years ago when I got into this, you know, so you've been in it for over 20 years. I got into this about 10 years ago. And the issue 10 years ago was plastic bags and paper bags and plastic straws. And that was it. There wasn't really too much outside of that. Now we got the president trying to ban the industry. You've got John Kerry who's got some weird title now, climate czar, going around telling people to go find new jobs. And it's it's totally That's different, totally different than what it was 10 years ago. That's the
5: last person we need to listen to, that guy right there.
0: But anyway. Well, don't get, don't get me started on that. In fact, I'm quoted two weeks ago because uh, the API, American Petroleum Institute, came out and started the conversation about whether we should have carbon pricing or not. And I, and I was like, what now? API is listening to John Kerry. John Kerry is the new voice for oil and gas. Holy shit. Like, whoa, okay, (laughs) things have changed. But what do you think, in your your observations, you know, I brought up mine of the 10 years from plastic bags and straws to where we're at today. Um, What do you think if anything has changed, I mean, you mentioned that your son thought the oil and gas world was evil and he'd never set foot in there and you worked there. So, uh, talk to me a little bit about, you know, the perception of you and then the perception of, of your family and and your kids and everything, because I think this is important conversations for people to hear.
5: I think that anyone that has a negative outlook on the oil and gas industry is uneducated, and, and they need to do their research. They need to see it for themselves. You know, as I mentioned, I'm a, I'm a police spouse now. You know, people talk crap about police officers all day long. Um, my, and my answer to them is, hey, you know what? Go have a conversation with an officer. Go do a ride-along. Go see what they do every single day. Go walk in their shoes for a day. Get educated. Then come back and tell me your your opinion on police officers, and and I feel the same way about the oil and gas industry. Um, my husband negative knowledge about the oil and gas industry mind blown. Took him out on location, took him out on location, showed him around, explained things to him, gave him oil field one hundred and one, and he gets it now. He understands, um, and, and I think that that's the case with you know he did a ride along with me so to speak. And I think that that's what a lot of people need to do. Go get your feet wet. Go get your hands dirty. Go see what it's all about. Um, people have the mis uh, misunderstanding, I guess, for lack of a better word.
0: I call it that, more, more attitude than information.
5: Well, I mean, they, they all think that we're just a bunch of uneducated, dirty hicks out here. Yeah. And, you know, that we're all, the term, quote-unquote, oil field trash, I hate that. That is one of the most derogatory terms.
0: That's that's state-sponsored shaming. That's state-sponsored shaming. You could
5: call yourself. Because there is actually so much technology, so much engineering, so much planning, that it's mind-blowing to the people that find that out. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing trashy about it. The oil and gas industry today's oil and gas industry is actually a, a very technical, fine tuned uh, running machine.
0: So I I brought this up to a few leaders, high level leaders, when that started coming out. You know, oil filled trash because about three four years ago that came out where that was being used in the media all over the place, and uh, and I said yeah. I said you guys you need to pay attention to this because. When you historically look at when the government tries to ban something or tries to do something, they immediately shame it as dirty or disruptive or something. Take, take a look at you know heroin. They did it with the Asian American population and, and cannabis with, with uh, uh, Hispanics and African Americans. And so they've done it in other areas too. So when I started seeing the smoking ban, They did it with the smoking ban, too. They started allowing uh, public shaming and et cetera. So when I started seeing that template, I started talking about that to people who get paid a lot of money. I mean, we're talking six figures, if not more, to lead the industry through trying times. They were laughing at me, calling me a conspiracy nut, calling me all kinds of different things. And I'm going, guys, how can you argue over the body of work that's been done over the last 10 years? Like... Do you not understand that this was at the time it was Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren were now having public conversations about banning oil and gas? I'm like, guys, do you not get it? Your message is not hitting home. I mean, you, you need to reinvent your message because all the kids are being told that you're the you're the evil enemy. And so, um, anyway, I find that interesting. That's all because I, I, I the oil field trash is what triggered it for me. Sorry. I agree with you. Oh,
5: no. And I mean, I you know, some people think, you know, they've got the decals on the back of their trucks. They've got the tattoos. You know, I they proudly proclaim themselves that. No, stop that. Stop that. Y'all quit doing that. It is not okay. You're not trash. It's all about self-love. Love who you are. Love what you do.
0: Yeah. And, and that's, I get it. No, and, and I don't want to take anything away from somebody, you know, doing self-deprecation. That's my, I love self-deprecation. That's how I, you know, that's how I advance myself through life in uncomfortable situations. So I'm on, I'm all about it. But at the same time, you do have to take a look at when there are others doing that people outside of the industry. That's, that's when it should be really unacceptable. Um, because that anyway that's that's a different topic for a different day. I sorry, that was a trigger word for me. I didn't oh, realize, no, that, that's okay it's a trigger word for me too. I didn't realize it was such a trigger for me. It just well because I, I get you know I, I try to have high level discussions with high level people, and when they you know kind of laugh me out of the room because I'm bringing up things that they don't talk about on a regular basis because it's you know like predicting the future. well, okay, I same thing with negative oil too when I started talking about that some in fact i publicly got trolled on that calling me an idiot and there's no basis of science and things like that and i'm going well we're just trying to have the conversation because the signs are there and we're living in a we're, we're living in a world where nothing makes sense right now nothing because we have a president of the united states trying to ban an industry that without it nothing works so good luck <laughs> just anyway
5: well as far as like the the future of the industry last year when COVID first hit, I was working with an operator that shall remain nameless, a uh, very one of the, one of the big five. And there was a meeting where everyone said, Hey, you know, it's uh, this COVID stuff. Just everybody hang together. We're all going to be okay. Just everybody hang together. All right, cool. Well, then the next week, it was finish out your drilling permits and take it to the yard. We're stacking everything but three rigs. And that was the day that, that oil took a proverbial nosedive off the cliff, like a, you know, a bunch of lemurs, one after the other. And um, they had a forecaster there. At the meeting, because a lot of these companies, you know, big operators have people that do nothing but sit around and crunch numbers and predict stuff. And I asked him, I said, so, um, like, how long is this going to last? <laughs> you know, the question that everybody's asking, you know, when, when are we going to come back from this? And he said, well, in regards to, you know, X, X operator, the operator that he worked for. He said, we're looking at coming back from this, trying to come back from this in 12 to 18 months. And, and they are. They're rolling out some stuff right now. Um, so, I mean, his, his prediction on that was correct. He said, but as an industry, he said, we're never coming back from this. We are never coming back from this. It is never going to go back to how it was. You know, I, I've been in since everything was old school. Stuck around during the great crew change a few years ago. And, you know, jobs that were paying $50, $60 an hour up until a year ago, year and a half ago, are now going for 15 bucks an hour. And I, I see now what he was talking about. Things are never going to go back to how they were. And that's something that we're going to have to... We're going to have to learn to live with and adjust if we want to stay in the industry or find something that we're good at and move on.
0: Well, as we kind of wrap up a little bit here, uh, the industry is obviously going through some changes. You're one of those individuals that just experienced change. What advice do you have for people out there that are going through so much uncertainty right now, whether it's... They're currently employed and they just think that they might lose their job any day or maybe that their spouse is you know telling them to go find a new industry or maybe it's you know they themselves are questioning it as well because I do agree with you that the industry is changing to the tune to where a lot of the bigger companies are deciding that they need to you know be an energy company instead of an oil and gas company. And unfortunately, for a lot of American companies, the European countries have had a ten year head start. Oh yeah. So yeah, and that's that. That is the reality that's happening. Uh, there's going to be a big shakeup coming this summer after the PPP mm-hmm. money runs out, and companies right. are, are no longer going to pay people to sit at home and and, and be on social media. Um, right. Well, that's a big deal right now. Oh, I'm I'm. Oh, I've had so many CEOs and presidents call me just pissed off at the world that they're. They're having to, you know, use this money in order to give it to their employees, so their employees can just spend all day online. And they're watching what they do. And oh, oh I believe it. Oh yeah, to the tune to where I've heard LinkedIn is now Facebook and all this other stuff, and you know, pictures of vacations and kids are popping up on LinkedIn left and right. So the poor bastard trying to sell his services, he's not getting any, 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 any show anymore because all the kid picks and the party picks are taking over. It's all party picks now. So um, it's changing there too. So you're going to see a new social media platform come up. And also I'm hearing rumblings of social media uh, uh, regulations by companies coming in. It's going to start with uh, corporations publicly traded and trickle its way down to mom and pops, just like it always does. But what advice do you have for people? What, what should people be thinking? What should people be talking with their spouses about? Just wh- whatever you went through that you think somebody should know because, I, like I said, I agree with you that the industry is going through some transitions and it at the end of the year it's probably going to have more of a less employees than more employees. It happened in coal and it happened in other ones, too, so it's, it's not new. Well, the first, the, the
5: first advice that I that I want to give is ladies put your clothes on okay if you want to be taken seriously put your clothes on which that's a whole other podcast topic if if you want to have some solid footing man cover those things up it's not like you have the only pair okay we've all got them um don't quit quit showing your crotch on linkedin just, just stop it, okay? Get educated in your product. Trust your product. And put your knowledge out there for people to see, learn, and appreciate. Uh, do not get overwhelmed. It is extremely overwhelming. Don't let that get to you. Give it to God. Definitely cliche, but very solid. Give it to God. Um, look at other, you know, try, try to be ahead of the learning curve or try to be ahead of the curve, not the learning curve, but try to be ahead of the curve. If you, if you see the writing on the wall that things are fixing to go south with your position or your company or whatever, have a backup plan, have three or four of them. Have one anyway. You should never be without a backup plan. And, you know, don't, don't be afraid to make some hard decisions about your life. Um, worked as a single mom to buy my first house on my very own in Midland. Uh, new construction, was two years old, and I sold it last week uh, because I now live here in Lubbock and, and it was very heart-wrenching for me. Um, sell, sell selling the big Ram 2,500 Laramie oil filled truck. Um, those two things were part of who I am, who I was. And I'm, I'm not that person anymore. I can't be that person anymore. Life's changed. And it's hard. It's been hard for me to get rid of both those things. And they're only material things. Um, But be ready to make some tough decisions. And in the end, whatever happens, you're going to be okay. Eventually, you're going to be okay. Everything's going to work out the way it's supposed to.
0: And That's the important part about this, is that at the end of the day, if you stay positive and really do what's best for you and your family, you are going to be okay. You are going to. Jason, at
5: at, at the end of the day, you can have the greatest support system in the world. Some people are blessed with that and some people aren't. But regardless, at the end of the day, nobody's really got your back but you.
0: That's right. Yes. That is right. And with that, if somebody wants to hire you, whether they're a restaurant or they're going to have an event over the weekend or whether they have an office or, like you've mentioned, you're sanitizing and covid and. Uh. Rigs and, and oil field places. So uh, how can people hire you and, and get, in, get in touch with you or take a look at your services?
5: Well, they can reach out to me. Uh, they can connect with me on LinkedIn. That's my uh, my business platform that I use. Um, I'm not posting vacation or crotch pictures on there. It's pretty much 99% business or motivational posts because we all need those. They can connect with me on LinkedIn, my phone number is on there. Or they can connect with my business partner whose name is Sydney Lawson.
4: Exclusive Interview Industry News, Environmental Innovation at the CrudeLife.com. heard on the crude life morning show play hard work hard is by the Moody River. Back,
0: band. To the way.
3: Oh, 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 back to the ways. So
0: life with Jason Speece. Thank you for joining the program today.
1: You know, I, I come from an oil background. My family's been in the oil and gas industry
3: for 60 years. I, I think the thing with the younger generation is the younger generation has pretty much bought into the climate change phenomenon. They really believe everything that people tell them.
5: We just want to thank everybody that has been so supportive of us, and especially you, Jason. Without Without your help, I don't think our event would be as successful as it is so i i don't want to be real critical of them because being a guy who's you know dad has several small businesses and and coming from that sort of small business
1: background i get it i mean the the operators here were put in a real bad position by the state of north dakota well that
5: we've got people like you to pay attention and bring us information
1: on
4: stuff like this prices can't go any lower for services I, I, they're they're too low right now. I, our margins are in the single percentage point if we're lucky, and we're not lucky that often.
5: You're exactly right. ESG is becoming more and more important to shareholders.
2: I can see for my twenty companies, they take it very serious.
4: It makes perfect sense. And I
1: thought you had a really good show last week. Jason, I love your inquisitive questions because you, you ask important questions that uh, that lead to the most important truths. Hey, this is Kevin Kramer representing proudly the state of North Dakota in the United
4: States Senate. How's about Jason Speece, who's like the best energy interviewer in the world. No one does an interview like Jason Speece.
5: We all like living the crude life, so.
0: <laughs> the crude life with host Jason Speece. My name is Jason Spies and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk about Women's History Month. Every March since 1987, Congress and U.S. presidents have designated this month as Women's History Month. This year, the Crude Life celebrates and honors their accomplishments and vital contributions in history with interviews and stories that center around women's experiences in industry. These women are not only modern day leaders, but they are truly historic as well. Today we talk with Kirsten Jesperson of Mile High Employment Solutions.
3: So our company actually started down in Denver about 35 years ago. We're a family owned and operated direct hire agency out there. I've actually been recruiting in the industry for about 10 years and about two years ago, um, I decided to make the jump and relocate to North Dakota and establish an office here in the area. Um, We've had a large presence in the Bakken previously, but now we've really developed more of a local footprint and we're recruiting a lot more for local companies in the area. So we've actually, we partner with several different companies typically across the Rocky Mountain region to help them attract and retain top level talent for some of their hard to fill positions. One of the things that we deal with a lot in North Dakota is obviously the low unemployment rate, um, the high number of positions that need to be filled in the area and some of the challenges that the companies are facing here Um, You know, whether it be conditions or housing or just simply not being able to attract enough candidates to be able to fill those positions. So we partner with them to help streamline some of those processes and really help drive the candidates to these positions.
0: To listen to the full-length interview with Kirsten Jesperson of Mile Hype Employment Solutions or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. Please join us all month long as we celebrate Women's History Month here at The Crude Life. From the staff here at The Crude Life Week in Review, my name is Jason Spies asking you to always remember, energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life.
4: The Crude Life is sponsored in part by...
2: For more than 100 years, First International Bank & Trust has been headquartered in western North Dakota, home of the Bakken. Our proven record of mineral management, appraisal, and brokerage services is now enhanced by the only Bakken-specific software, Mineral Tracker. Trust First International Mineral & Land Services and Mineral Tracker... To protect your interests and help build and preserve a financial legacy for generations to come.
0: It takes an industry to build a forest. to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com.
4: The music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River Band. Interested in becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com the crude life with host jason space
5: so there's still people without power as of this morning
4: you know right now i think there's uh, very limited driving out there in west texas they're generating about five percent of the power today uh in in texas sensitive microphone
1: because i just poured a glass of water because we don't have running water here yet i mean this is this has been uh, a very trying week for a lot of people across the state of texas uh there are and, and let me just say this I, I'm sorry that so many Texans were let down by their grid.
3: On the phone, talking with us today, Chairman Christy Craddock of the Texas Railroad Commission.
5: We have roughly 470,000 miles of interstate and intrastate
3: pipelines in Texas and roughly another 500,000 miles.
5: Of gas utilities uh, lines in Texas, so we have a lot of and gathering lines are in that 470,000 miles as well. So we have a lot of pipe in Texas, where the largest pipe state by a sixth.
4: It, it is a very challenging day in Texas right now. Uh, the grid operator is projecting that nearly three million homes in Texas uh, are without power today, uh, and, and there's it's our snowing here in
3: Lubbock again. I mean,
1: I don't. I thought it was supposed to be sunny today. So I'm from Odessa and that's a big part of my district, but I also represent, uh, in addition to Ector County, uh, three other counties in the Permian Basin. So Andrews County, Ector County, Ward County, and Winkler County, but uh,
0: all all in West Texas, all in the middle of the
4: oil patch. You know, when they close the roads down, we can't transport that, that those, uh, those materials. And so we can't get the product to uh, where it needs to go to get refined so that We can either one heat our homes or two
1: uh, have fuel for our vehicles. Um, With pipelines, that doesn't really come into effect. You know, once the pipelines are laid, not much can stop that that crude oil or uh, natural gas from getting from point A to point B. They are so far behind the curve on getting the storage, the battery storage, uh, in place to even be able to handle you know the most minute degree of storage for a case like what happened in Texas. And now there's
4: going to be a spotlight on that, And just an incredible impact. We saw nearly 30 gigawatts uh, come offline yesterday.
5: How does the lodge went without water since Saturday?
4: On Friday, the railroad commission took quick action. I know you recently had Chairman Craddock
1: on.
5: We'll have water for until five p.m. and then we'll be off
1: again for the night on friday i sent a letter asking the public utilities commission of texas to rescind its order authorizing uh these uh generator these generators or these providers to increase the rates you know i don't know that's true but i don't think i'd want to be in a hospital in dallas texas on a on life support and know that wind energy is gonna be my source of keeping that machine running, right? J.P. One reporting from uh, Houston, Texas at 9:12 12 a.m. Uh, I don't even know what day it is right now. I think it's Wednesday. Uh, we ran out of water yesterday.
5: Well, I've had maybe three hours of sleep in three days. <laughs>